Hello and welcome back to Honey Are You Happy, a podcast dedicated to reducing stigma around mental health illnesses. Now I'm your host Joss Walden, I'm an assistant psychologist and ambassador for the UK's leading eating disorder charity Beat. I also have lived experience of recovering from anorexia which took me almost a decade and like to combine my academic, my clinical and my lived experience to provide you with practical and challenging conversations that help you understand mental health better but also know how to approach your own recovery and hopefully give you some motivation. Now I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest. She is a dear friend of mine and it is of course the wonderful Lara Rebecca. She's a Cardiff-based mental health and eating disorder awareness advocate. She uses her previous experiences of anorexia nervosa, depression and anxiety disorder to raise awareness, educate and challenge predetermined societal stigmas. Now, Lara first captured a following through her self-titled YouTube channel, accumulating over 50,000 subscribers and 8 million views within three months of launching. Now, more recently, she hosts and independently produces her podcast, The Keep Smiling Podcast, which is linked in the show notes, featuring honest and uplifting discussions focusing upon mental health, well-being and mindset, alongside well-established guests, which has now accumulated a global audience. I am, of course, one of those guests as well, and you can go and search on Lara's podcast and hear the series that we did all focused on eating disorder recovery. Alongside this, she is also a full-time sports psychology student, long-distance running enthusiast, personal trainer, focusing on all things female empowerment. Wow, if that isn't an intro, I don't know what is. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. We specifically talk about exercise within eating disorders, exercise after recovery, um, recovering in the community, and all things empowerment and eating disorder recovery. Grab a cuppa, sit down, and enjoy it, guys. Hello, Lara, and welcome to the podcast. Oh my god, this is like 360. I love it. I love it. It's literally thanks to you that I even set this up, really. Um, because I didn't think I'd be a very good speaker. And I think it was you who told me that you're like, oh, you come across so well. And I was like, do I? Uh, oh, this then... is why every single episode I've had you on, it's been an, one, an absolute pleasure, but two, when you go through the editing process and re-listen to it, you just the vibes is good. It's educational, but you have your experiences, but you have your academic insight as well. So you take the boxes in so many ways, and you're just genuinely a rather lovely human being. So all in all, oh makes my a good- gosh, what <laughs> intro! As you can hear, Lara's lovely. Um, I was trying to think about how I first met you, and we were pen pals, pen pals, <laughs> literally. And then we met in we were pen pals, and then we went to Marrakesh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like stranger danger just didn't exist it was like oh just meet me at a train station and we'll fly fly to morocco together it's fine. <laughs> dirt bike in the desert in 45 degrees yeah sure thing <laughs> it's been a whirlwind but lara has such an awesome podcast of her own and keep smiling podcast and with that a really incredible story and does loads and loads of work within mental health and i won't say any more but i'll hand over to you lara just to give a kind of whistle stop tour of, of your recovery story and uh, how you got to where you are today so it's always a situation where does one start um 
yeah, so as Joss mentioned, I do like to do a few bits and pieces within the mental health and eating disorder awareness advocacy space, and that is primarily influenced by my experiences. Um, so officially, I collected um, the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa, uh, depression, anxiety disorder. However, I think my issues definitely stemmed far earlier than what medical intervention kind of allowed it was very much the stereotypical okay as soon as she begins to lose weight that we will decide to intervene and give her the diagnosis and give her the treatment whereas I, I was struggling with you know really bad self-esteem anxiety perfectionism and really high bouts of stress as a quite a young child so much so that it showed in high school you know as the one with you know suffering nosebleeds and running out of exam theatres having to sit directly in front of the door so I could run out of classes so I'd always had kind of an anxious trait, kind of a overly perfectionistic, but catastrophic headspace. It was just very much overwhelming. I, I just wasn't in a great, great space. Um, so understandably, as pressures continued, as my mental health kind of developed for the worse as well, I developed uh, disordered eating tendencies, again, for that coping mechanism, for that kind of addictive negative thing and initially you think it's harmless because it's just small little habits however these habits amalgamate and they develop and they build upon each other and then soon enough your whole lifestyle is dictated by these routines and these habits and these behaviors and it's something that you started initially thinking that they were harmless and then sooner than you know it you're quite an ill person psychologically and physically so I hit my lowest point when I was 15, 16 years old. Um, and prior to that, my disordered eating tendencies didn't cause significant weight loss. They were more bulimic tendencies um, and, again, control-orientated. But when my weight did fall off is when I got the medical intervention, which was a difficult process. It certainly was. I know... Um, we have issues and there are certainly flaws within the system, specifically in regards to the conversation circulating BMI, how I wasn't allowed treatment until it dropped under a certain number. I won't go into specifics, but early intervention could have, you know, helped my case. Unfortunately, that wasn't the circumstance. But thankfully, when I did get the support, uh, despite the wavering and up and down journey and complications that we all know and love about recovery, um, I was able to get the support. I was able to get the guidance, the familial support. Um, fortunate that my stepmother's a doctor as well. So I had that kind of logistical support as well as the emotional support. And things started to improve ever so slowly. And yeah, as the years went on, my headspace kind of clicked that on a bit more of a right space. And I think now was just the opportunity to utilize the previous experiences in a way that could facilitate others, you know, utilizing my experiences is not something that's always mourned upon or looked negatively upon. It's something to think, okay, shit happened, but how can we translate this into something productive and good and empowering? So um, yeah, start the podcast, start a YouTube channel. And I've just done bits and pieces with mainstream media, with S4C, with BBC, and just trying to spread as much as I can in terms of the positivity it's not my whole focus because I don't think that again is going to be healthy for me just consistently digging up the same stuff over and over again I do um I am an academic and well am I an academic does that make sense you just said you're an academic I love ah! it <laughs> I I, I do I do are. the study stuff and I do I will be doing more um yes. 
so yeah that's a bit of a whistle stop tour young and insecure kind of amalgamated and developed into some place that's quite sinister but things got better um when I was you know 17 18 and still been a learning process and I think has life has thrown so many challenges at you in the sense of university and family relationships and romantic relationships and going you know moving out of my parents house and big steps so everything um has been a learning curve and that's just been one of them too oh amazing and for those of you who obviously are not familiar with with Lara she shares a lot about her story on online as well through her own accounts and I know that when you were sick um you did get very physically sick as well and and it's that same narrative as well of people going to seek help and being told actually you're not thin enough to get help when actually when you you look back at pictures you're like I was desperately sick um and that is the sadly the same narrative that we're still hearing today uh even worse that people are actually being put on palliative care pathways instead of being given treatment being written off um which is just an atrocity and such a letdown of the system and it Um, validates that body dysmorphic anxiety that we have um specifically when I was in the worst of it you know hindsight is a weird thing you look back sometimes and remember what your perceptions were and how they've totally changed now and to think that somebody didn't recognize and think oh dearie me that person is in dire need of Mm. you know some intervention and you're convincing yourself that you want to continue on despite the fact that you are unwell and you've got people kind of reiterating that story to you. So the the mindsets of the disordered mindset that you're fighting with, as well as that, that, that slight practical headspace that you still have, um, it's really difficult to navigate. It's really Absolutely. difficult to kind of juggle yeah. with so many narratives and so many stories and so many perspectives. And it's, it's just a confusing ordeal. Definitely. And coupled with the fact that a lot of people with eating disorders have that inner belief that I'm not good enough or I don't deserve help. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve attention, whatever it is. So if you go to a doctor and you've kind of got that strength to be like, I think I need some help. And they're like, no, no, you need to get a bit thinner. That's just reinforcing all those beliefs that are there being like, yeah, you're not good enough and you're not perfect enough. And you should probably try a bit harder. It's like another thing that you failed at. And I remember that in my own recovery being a massive thing as if I got better, was I failing at being anorexic? Oh, gosh, when the scale numbers went up and when I was in treatment and I'd had uh, the meetings and the blood pressures and, you know, the doodahs and the bits and the pieces, any time where that line would be beyond a parallel gradient I would be devastated I'll be absolutely so I I had to blind wave very quickly because I knew that if I continued to see those statistics and those lines and quantified my value via these statistics nothing good was going to happen but it's it's really scary and it's sad to think how your emotional well-being and your mental health and the way you perceive yourself can be so heavily orientated and dictated by this number and this scale weight but that that is what your identity is. Well, for me, at least, it was that control mechanism was vanished and now all of a sudden it's going the wrong way. And it's just, it's stressful. It's really stressful. I'm quite threatening almost. Absolutely, yeah. And I was actually wondering, because um, I know that you didn't, um, you managed to keep yourself in the community um, based on the support that 
was not around you in terms of like NHS support and things like that. So you had to remain where you were at home and to make progress at home is a lot harder. And I was just wondering, like, what was that like for you? And what were the things that really helped you kind of get through the weight gain at home on your own, deal with kind of body changes and you kind of really stick to that recovery process? I initially did not deal with it. Um, I think, again, I had the idea of, all right, I'll gain it and then I'll, you know, I'll get them to go away and then I'll lose it all again. You know, you know, you you just had that deceitful uh, thing in you and, you know, I'd be water loading before weigh-ins and (laughs) thinking that they wouldn't tell if my weight tripled. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Cross, cross your fingers, you know, Um, and I definitely don't deal with it. But it's funny, it was it's when things start piecing together. And I I don't think it was more about body image and weight gain as the coping. It was more the fact that I'd put myself in a healthier place with the right people. And then as a consequence, subsequently everything else was easier. So I I finally figured out the trigger point where then I was focusing on that. So then everything else wasn't just a symptom. It was something that kind of it was like the domino effect so once I dealt with that big thing and once I dealt with the underlying psychological factors and not just the BMI the food the weight gain just the the secondary elements that are evidently horrendously difficult um but no initially it was that deceit it was that secretive it was that well I'll, I'll I'll give it a go but you know what this is still not my trajectory I wasn't ready but I think I became more uh, rational and more in control of my thoughts and alternated the control back to me from the anorexia you know I was controlling it rather than it controlling me still certainly a part of me but I was able to kind of realign my thoughts and be a bit more practical and just things just amalgamated and then you just think the concept of life and you just think the concept of relationships and it's also just you realize things that you're missing out on and I'd missed out high school. I'd missed out those house parties with friends. I'd missed out the opportunities to go play with my little sisters because I wasn't allowed to expend any calories or expend any energy. And it's just that bit really mm. impacted me. Cause I'm quite an, an emotional, quite a sentimental person. Quite. I'm a very emotional person. Um, let's, let's be honest there. And I just realized what I was missing out on. And I think that was a huge motivator in the end was, okay, I get to take my newly adopted greyhounds around for a walk. I get to go to the park with my little sister who was newly adopted. Uh, no, the greyhounds were newly adopted. She, we had a couple of years. Um, besides the point, it was just the opportunity to live life, to be with humans, to be a teenager because yeah. I hadn't had that. Yeah, And that was more exciting as things got better and it didn't seem as threatening. It's like, okay. If yeah. I do these things, if I conform to this recovery and I do it because I want to do it, these opportunities will, you know, arise to them. And, I, and I, it's something exciting for me to do. Yeah. And I think that's such a great perspective to have. And one that I reinforce with, with people today through the work I do with Beat is that kind of like often when you say to someone, what's the worst that could happen? 
and they say, well, I'll get fat or I'll gain weight. And you're like, but what does that mean to you? What does it mean if you weren't with your eating disorder, which numbs and it gives you distraction, you can think about numbers all day and things to do. What would you be left with? What is that fear that you're left with? Because it's nothing to do with your body weight. It's nothing to do with what you look like. And that, as soon as you can identify that, you can actually start doing the work to be like, okay, maybe it's that I'm anxious about getting older and being an adult and having responsibilities okay what can we do to support you with that maybe it's a big trauma maybe it's bullying maybe it's low self-esteem whatever the amalgamation of things is as soon as you actually look beyond that kind of like I'm I'm scared of gaining weight it's like okay no what are you actually scared of mm-hmm. um, what is so fearful of being at a healthy weight and having a body that works what is so scary about that um, that people can actually start kind of building on actually their own recoveries and I think definitely I love what you said about like being around the right environment and the right people um because environment is everything like social support is everything we can't like re- eating disorders thrive in um, isolation and thrive on their own so as soon as we surround ourselves with people who don't have eating disorders or who are in recovery and are really motivated to recover we have that army around us of people who are on the same trajectory and want good for us and that's really powerful yeah and they will just be the huge motivators and just the behaviors that other people's exude then you realize that are healthy and normal and the ones that you were okay may not be as healthy so it's changing that perception changing that dialogue that you had with yourself again that's just very difficult because it's what's been solidified in your brain for so long so it certainly is a process mm-hmm. and it takes time and it took time but you learn about yourself you learn about the people around you and the good eggs then you absolutely cherish did you have any therapy during that time did you admit manage to access any well I had one meeting and that was pretty much it but again that, I think that was the issue um but because when I was undergoing recovery in the initial stages I was still very much thinking that this is not recovery I, I, I hadn't decided recovery my recovery started when I decided recovery not when other people decided it for me I think that was the difference and that happened after mm. uh, the initial stages began so I wasn't necessarily seeking it perhaps if I were to seek it if I were to ask for it I would have been able to had a bit more psychological intervention so I'm not going to bash um, cams there so I think that was my responsibility as well I had one meeting that was just more of a rant anything I think I was just frustrated you need a good rant um, oh absolutely especially in recovery there's lots to be angry about tell me about it and after that I had been in and out of different forms of therapy counseling CBT and I'm still yet to find my person both emotionally and in a, uh, both romantically and in a therapeutic standpoint <laughs> Um, I've, I've realized that finding a suitable therapist is just as hard as finding a life partner Oh gosh, because you isn't find the people that click to you and I've had good experiences, but I think it's been more about, okay, let's reiterate the past. I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, I've come to terms with the things. I know what happened. I know how I responded. How can it be applied now when the anxious tendencies, whatnot? Um, so the answer is I did but not really yeah Um, I still think there's time for um not treatment plans to be changed but it's to be more focused upon the psychological side of things rather than solely just let's get that BMI back to a good standpoint because as we know it's a psychological illness that has often symptomatic responses so 
it's about looking more so at the end uh, underneath but again hindsight a wonderful thing definitely and you're very lucky that you are naturally very insightful and intelligent and you question yourself and you're very clued up um I think it's worth surprising because you know as someone who works in psychology um I know from my own kind of research and stuff that actually talking therapies uh, aren't amazing for trauma so it's not always very helpful to be going over things that have happened instead it's like um it's more like about future focus and kind of rebuilding after that and like moving out of the victim mentality which often talking and regurgitating that information can put us back in the victim mentality but actually moving into survivorship and being like well you know what I had bullying whatever it was and and I'm not that person anymore and this is who I choose to be and and we, we kind of claiming that identity Oh gosh, absolutely. And I I think I'm really lucky that, although I said previously, I've had a lot of stresses in life in terms of like the transitions, the changes, I've had a lot of things happen as, you know, even though I've been quite young, but I've been able to change my life now that I'm in a new place, a new environment. I'm a new person. So I've been able to look forward. I've been able to re- as we say, re-identify, rediscover, redefine who I am, who I want to be. And I think that's been really powerful because it's been, it's the new chapter and looking at the new chapter has always been the most exciting bit. It's the new relationships I get to form. It's the new experiences that I do. It's the new blinking degree that I decide to sign up upon. Um, so it's looking forward and that has always been more beneficial than let's dig up the past again. Had to be done at some point. Absolutely. But it doesn't need to be due on repeat. No, absolutely. There's a time and a place and a way to do that. Now, I'm going to rudely interrupt this podcast just for a moment of your time to remind you of the things that you can find when you head on over to the show notes. Not only are there links to mine and Lara's social medias if you want to follow along for more content, but also there are some links to some free stuff. You can find your own intuitive eating guide if you're struggling with your body image and your food around the summertime. And there's also a free journaling guide. Now, journaling is something that really, really helped me in my recovery. It was just a way to offload all those really heavy emotions and kind of make sense of my mind and kind of also focus on the future and create a future that I wanted to be part of. If you're anything like me, when I started journaling, I had no idea really what I was doing or how to use it productively. So there's a whole guide there free of charge for you to download. Now, also guys, I create all this content online for free. I enjoy doing it. It's a privilege to educate you and it's an honor to talk to these guests. However, it really does support the work that I do if you just go over and leave a rating and a review on this podcast. It will take two seconds of your time and make a little difference to you and the world of difference to me. So that is all for me, guys. And without further ado, let's get back into this episode. Like, would you say that you're recovered? Would you say that you're in quasi-recovery? I never, I think the concept of recovered feels really strict. I worry that if I put that label, I'll feel pressure to... Do you think that links back to the perfectionism and having to do things and having to do them really well? I think it's a label. I I think it's another label. Um, And I think it's something to conform to. And if I ever have a moment where I feel a bit, self-conscious or a moment where I think about you know I take a bit longer to study a menu or you know have a little bit of a thought nothing that I necessarily is I I would see as disordered but I still I'd be I'd be worried does that mean that I'm not so 
I I'm just in I'm in a really healthy positive place as I said I'm in a really lucky position that I've been able to remove myself from the environments where I was ill so it's like the new chapter things that have really helped me um but I do feel a sense of freedom I do feel a sense of excitement with life with food with my body uh with movement and it was more just the the anxiety and the perfectionism and the depression once I got that shaked away and I once I was able to figure out what the causes were there was a bit more freedom and there was a bit more excitement and there was a capacity to live and then as a result the kind of tendencies that I had with you know disordered eating faded and it's a really exciting prospect to be in because when you live this life where you're not dictated day by day by those anxieties that you knew you were you forget about it almost because it becomes your secondary norm. But having these conversations, I realized, gosh, yeah, I was really ill. Yeah. And to now think that, you know, the volumes of foods that I eat or the neutrality I have towards certain things that I knew caused me a lot of anxiety or, you know, the this and the that's and, you know, progress has been really great. And I put a lot of responsibility on that to my dad and the relationship there and the safety I felt there and the comfort there. So I've not have to sort comfort in those behaviors. I've yeah. I've been able to do it in, in positive ways. Um, and that's such so, a lovely thing just to say anyway, that actually like people often do get a lot of comfort from something that's quite dangerous, like an eating yeah. disorder. And eating disorders are just a form of self-harm as well. And it's lovely that then as part of your journey, you're like, I was able to receive comfort from other people. And that was enough to kind of supplement the comfort that yeah. you were seeking from those behaviors. I, I definitely found it within as well. I think as much as it's great to have your support network I've always been very independent and very, I'm a one person. So I know that I've given it to myself as well. And everything has been a supplement. I don't want to, you know, give all the responsibility to somebody else and say, if they go, then I'm going to go back to the shit. Um, so it's just been a combination of different things, different challenges, different growth from said challenges that have been able to come together. And yeah, th- things are good. Things are really good. and. As I said, I've got, got my good network of people. I've got people around me like you. Um, and it's just nice to know that we can have a neutral conversation. And if things arise, I know I've got people around me. Yeah, definitely. So th- there's no anxiety in if I do have a wobble, because I know that if that does come, I've got the resources. I know what needs to be done. I know the support network. But yeah, I, I I'm I'm in a great place with it. And and I, I love what you said, actually, about actually, if we, we put this thing like recovered out there, like this label, this goal that we have to get through, it's it takes away from the human existence of actually we will have stressful times. And maybe that is where our brain will go. Maybe there will be times when the menu is a little bit harder to choose from. It doesn't mean that you've slipped right back down. And maybe that does fall into the realm of normal, especially given the kind of culture and society we live in at the moment which is very diet and and fitness obsessed at times so we're probably all fluctuating a little bit and it probably isn't helpful to be like I'm gonna stick this label on me and yeah and I know uh, a lot of friends that have not necessarily had an eating disorder that they have had moments of vulnerability and moments of weakness and I think that's normal if we have them now as well or just a thought of like oh I'm not sure about that you know something that's not necessarily you're engaging in mm-hmm. something catastrophic but if you have like, you know, the fact that it's, it's summer now and 
you know, wearing summery clothes and having your body exposed, like your fish be like, oh, I don't know if I like this, but it's, it's, it's just, it's a process and there's steps that you take and there's still inevitable challenges. Um, and you know, you learn along the way and it gets, it gets easier all the time. Absolutely does get easier. And it's just, it's just a process. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a journey. Yeah. And I also love the fact that you're like, you know, it would be something I'd have to almost like live up to in another label. I'd have to kind of perfect. And I would always think like I'd fall short kind of, if I was to look at myself now, actually as well, like you'd constantly be looking at everything you do and be like, oh, but that was that for this? Or was this for, you know, and I think we do live in an age where because of social media, probably we're very quick to assume what people are doing and why they're doing it. And I know for you and I, especially like Lara is, you're a personal trainer um, and you love your running and um, your fitness and your lifting as do do I and it's one of the things that I still get questioned a lot about is like oh you go to the gym a lot and people assume it's still disordered related and actually it's like well no let me be a normal person like don't put me under an umbrella just because my hobby is something that you know yes can maintain eating disorders doesn't mean that's my intention and it's it's really difficult to then break away and be your own person if people kind of are holding you to their expectations of what recovery looks like and it's like well no because recovery has nothing to do with your food and your weight it's to do with your mental state and so if my intentions are good if if I'm coming from a healthy place when I'm making decisions then that's recovery to me sorry side note Joss is lifting so freaking much I know you are like squatting what I am and you're half my size (laughs) <laughs> I remember meeting you the first yeah. time. I was like, oh, <laughs> I do you eat are a lot. Strong. You are strong and you have incredible form. Thank um, you. But besides, but but then you the take we, we ha- but we had the exciting, you know, it, it is exciting. I think there's certainly a, a place for it. You know, it needs to be introduced healthily and sustainably and safely. And fortunately, because I've studied biomechanics, physiology, and you know, sport performance and S and C as well. I take it as a bit of a nerdy standpoint too, and I think about lactic thresholds, and I think about you know, physical adaptations and how this goes into this and muscle fibers, da, 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 da. and that's how I like to apply. I, I like to you know think of the science behind it as well, and it's an it's an exciting thing, you know. And for you as well, it's also the empowering thing, and it's you know it's also just that we know there's so many psychological benefits to maintaining an active lifestyle and being active and you know lifting especially as well has had so much kind of uh focus on how it's so empowering and so incredible for us um and that's what we enjoy yeah and if there's good intentions and it's a a sustainable intervention it's something that we've been able to implement into our lifestyles that is good and positive and it tickles our fancy then there's that and you know recently I've joined um so I always you know strength trained but then I introduced running just every now and then you know just a quick plot if the sun's out but I recently joined uh this local running group called CDF runners and my runs it's more just like oh no but on Monday on 6 30 I get to chat to Robin and I get to see Ben and I get to see this person I see this person like oh yeah and there's a run as well so it's now helping me with my anxiety disorder and my panic attacks granted I still do have panic attacks when I ran at run club the other day which is quite ironic <laughs> um, but you know it, running. It, there's there's different definitions to it and there's yeah. different uh, positives that come alongside it absolutely and I think this is where people get stuck and it's often the question um that I get asked a lot about because for some people they can fall into the cycle of 
I exercise because it's good for my mental health and it relieves my anxiety, but relieves my anxiety around eating. And if I exercise, I can eat, I can eat more. And therefore it becomes a compensatory behavior. It becomes a way to to sneakily maintain an eating disorder because actually the role of exercise then is to reduce anxiety around food. Well, I know a large proportion of people who go to any gym will be doing it for some sort of body manipulation but it is a cycle for people with eating disorders that they are vulnerable to being stuck in and I was wondering if you had any kind of reflections or kind of tips for people who may be stuck in cycle of like I I need to exercise and I do enjoy what I do but I'm stuck there because it's justifying my eating yeah I think it's just bringing it back to basics and thinking what is the why behind this and the big turning point for me from when I took it into something that was a sustainable intervention and it was something empowering and exciting was when I realized that it was celebrating my body's ability and also celebrating the dose of endorphins. And I can tell you that never stops. Once you're doing something for the good reasons, that addictive, hyper, kind of overly excited, you know, kind of boost of energy you get after, you know, you do a run or after you do some exercise or after you do a class if it's for good intentions, they are, they are good from within. And again, from my support network, um, I had a really good friend in high school who helped me along and it was just exciting. And, oh God, can we get our first pull up? And it was the just mesmerizing ability to know that, okay, a few years prior, I had absolutely no energy. And it's just now being able to you know, take the dogs out and not have to worry about, gosh, I'm going to slack off at this time because that's when I start dipping down. Mm. So it's more so thinking about a body's ability and the empowering nature rather than just thinking about the manipulation and the adjusting. Um, And this is why I feel like ever since I've not, um, I've kind of like lessened my gym and focused more on the running because it's more, ticking the boxes in terms of the social interaction, the being outside, the being with people, whereas the gym sometimes can feel a bit claustrophobic. Um, so I think I have the best of both worlds now where I can zone in, do the lifting, do the S&C, but then I've also got, you know, the outdoors. And I know that that was what I take as something really invaluable. And because I've, I've figured those out and I know that is that case, I'm, you know, it's like yesterday I did a run and I was hyper for the full day because yeah. I went out and I had Butte Park to myself and it was sunny and gorgeous and I was listening to Disney and Busted oh, and having mate. a great oh, karaoke. My, my dream. It's my but dream it, day. Exactly. And I think because I recognize that what makes me feel good and the good intentions behind it, I've been able to stay in a positive relationship with it. Um, and yeah, the support network of, you know, CDF runners and the people I know at the gym and, um, training with people it's just a fun thing and if it's something fun and if it's something that excites you and doesn't stress you then you've ticked the box yeah absolutely and I couldn't agree more with that and you know even and there's such a difference you can you can feel in yourself from knowing times in my early 20s when I would only go to the gym because I'd eaten something and that is a horrible feeling of it's extreme stress and you you don't feel focused on what you're doing it's just like I just need to move and it's a very different feeling from walking in there and 
you're being present, seeing people that you know, saying hello, stopping between sets, you know, just kind of plodding around doing your thing. It's it's a completely different attitude um, and a completely different drive and one that is just more, it is fun. It makes me respect my rest and my downtime as well. Cause I, like you said, I appreciate what my body can do, but I also know that I respect my body enough to kind of let it rest and want to refeed it. And uh, because that's how it's going to repair and that's how it's going to make me stronger and fitter. And, um, but I wouldn't say I'm obsessed by it. So if I have to take a week off, like I had a chest infection the other week, I can lie in bed all week and I'll still eat the same food. Like my boyfriend was bringing me pizza and things like that. And I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, but I can't eat that because I haven't done 10,000 steps and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. It's like, well, no, like it's my time off and, you know, I'll, I'll be back next week or the week after. And it, it just it's also just the, the big picture, isn't it? Mm, and definitely. Uh, yeah. And, and one thing that's been really lovely for me as well. So um, because I work in the university campus gym and there's been a bit more acknowledgement, the fact that I do like, you know, the mental health talk and the wellness side of things. I was recognizing that there were a lot of members that were still having that anxiety about the gym. So I was able to start female only classes and female only circuits and do couch to 5k programs and doing that and being in that environment and just 40 minutes of a little togetherness again is in his excuse for a karaoke the playlist I had Avril Lavigne on it was a great oh, time wish I lived there. <laughs> <laughs> but again it was that camaraderie and sense of community and sense of belonging and empowerment and you realize oh this is what it's about this is this is the thing and again when I started the Couch to 5k program that I mean it wasn't tailored for women but it was just women but I was more than happy with that it was more yes okay now we can run a little bit longer for our off on phase and you know reduce the, the walking thing or right I have I feel better this time and you get to see that experience from their perspective as well so it's really it's really wholesome and it just like makes your heart warm and happy um and yeah there's just been some great relationships that I developed from it and some people that I've been really proud to kind of work with and you know you've seen the psychological development you see how it's about their confidence and their motivation and how they recognize that this is good for them. Um, obviously, yes, physically, but for their mental health as well. Absolutely. And I think you're such a welcoming person. Like I know people can't see your face, but you're always so smiley and so approachable that, you know, you're someone I can imagine that when you're working on the gym floor, if someone was there and they were thinking like, do you know what? I've lost my love for moving and I am in here for the wrong reasons that they know that they can go and talk to you and be like, hey, Lara, this is not actually very fun for me anymore. I just feel like I should be here. Like, what can I do to change this up? And I know that 100% you would be someone who'd be like, right, like, what do you enjoy? Like, what do you want to do? What are your goals? Like, um, and you'd get them back on track. Like you're very person centered. Um, so I think that's a huge, like, yeah, they're very lucky to have you at their gym. There's um, on Fridays, we do uh, like free PT Friday. So some people that just want a little bit of an instruction into the gym or want a little bit of insight. And I always kind of use it as an opportunity to show them around so they can take as many transferable skills so then they can take it on independently. But more often than not, it's just about showing um, what it truly is. And it's not just about the regimented nature. It's about seeing progress or if there's a skill that you'd like to learn. I tend to favor towards the pull-ups because it's become a part of my identity to love a good pull-up. Um, but it's about um like if they want to achieve their first squat if they want to be able to you know do a good form so I'm trying to remind it's uh your performance it's 
if you're able to retract your shoulders a bit better, if your back's no longer bending, if you're finally able to give that push-up a go, perhaps on your feet rather than on your knees. And that be the exciting thing and that be the endorphin hit, not just burning calories or, you know, the, the initial maybe reason Absolutely. why they're there and just showing, but I can tell you something that's even a bit more fun and how exciting it is to add another 20 kilos on the side of a leg press. Mm. Um, so it's really been fun to witness that from other people. And I guess that definitely reinforces it for me as well. And, you know, to know that what the fundamental reasons behind doing this. Yeah. And I think you do have to get to a place in yourself when, especially when you're strength training, where you're not fussed to see your body change. Cause I think if I tried and I did try when I was in quasi recovery to kind of take up powerlifting and things, and I could never eat enough. I looked like I was clearly under eating and, and not doing the right movements. And I think like people often like, oh, you must, you must exercise so much to justify your eating. Or it's like, well, well, no, because I have to be comfortable putting on fat because, you know, that you can't eat in a surplus and gain muscle unless you are comfortable. And I have a tummy and I have a bum and I have thick thighs and there's nothing for me that thinks like, oh, well, I need to now go on a 20K run and run that off or whatever I would normally do in my early 20s where I'd be trying to do the horrible thing that PTs hate when you're like, I want to gain strength, but I also want to lose fat. And they're like, no never say that to me again like you can't do both um but I think I definitely it's taken years to even get to the point where I can be like no and I want to see myself get stronger and I want to you know push more weight and do the pull-ups and that is really empowering and it makes you appreciate your body and I don't think and I know there's gonna be a lot of people out there who will shoot me for saying it I don't think there's anything wrong with having fitness goals when you've had an eating disorder you can still have fitness goals and you can still love going to the gym and you can still love eating healthy it doesn't mean that you're masking and I think this has been a real battle of mine over the last few months is being like how do the two fit together as someone who promotes recovery but loves a healthy lifestyle because I as a healthcare professional I would never advocate for someone to recover and then go to KFC five times a week that would be neglect so you know it's getting the balance right and always like you yeah. said coming back that that intention like why are you going what is your motive is it is it because I can't eat without going or is it because actually I love to see what my body can do and I respect it enough to know that actually being fitter and being stronger is going to be you know the best thing I can do for my body right now yeah you hit the nail on the head in terms of finding that balance and it's it was it's certainly a learning process because social media just inundates you with so many different words and diet, you know perspectives and things. But once you find the niche, um, you know, I know I get the stats back for my run, and never have I looked at the calories because I'm one very much aware that they're extremely inad- inaccurate. But it's more okay looking at my splits. Was my form correct? Did was you know my gait good? Was I able to hit the cadence right? Um, And that's the thing that kind of excites me. Whereas I know that when I was a lot younger, you know, when I was in that kind of disordered eating phase, when I utilized recovery, it was like midnight routines in my bedroom when I was 12 years old, trying to not wake my parents up. So I know that it's exciting and empowering and the vocabulary and the relationship that I have with it has certainly adapted and, and changed. And yeah, it, it it's something that I think has been really powerful for me. Mm. And I know for some people it doesn't work because I know that the relationship can't be productive or can't be um, practical. 
but you know it, we all have our different stories and I think we're just fortunate to fi- find this thing we were able to have a relationship with it which is good and exciting and mm. empowering and yeah and yeah definitely and it takes time like I would say like looking back there were definitely times where I thought I was using exercise in healthy ways during my university degree and I look back now at when I was in my early 20s and I realized oh gosh Joss like no <laughs> like what were you doing but again it's part of the journey and, and I learned so much about what I was doing and why I was doing it just from that process and I think it's made me stronger today yeah um but I do think probably as a trait of people with eating disorders there's that perfectionist thing and wanting to get it right and wanting to do the best and I think if I look back too much I beat myself up for not getting it right at the time yeah and I think people down not being recovered when I said I was recovered um when you say about the perfectionism anxiety I had to have a sit down myself recently because again the people at the the running club uh they've noticed that I'm not too bad I don't I'm I'm okay great runner but then there was that like a bit of pressure of saying okay now you need to be a sub 25k okay now you need to get the um qualifications to be able to qualify for the London Marathon then you get this then you get that as a whoa okay yeah exactly so I'm very much aware that I'm never going to be an elite athlete I'm very much aware that I'm never going to hit the silly numbers so why would I want to like go into an area that it's it's a bit more uncomfortable Mm. you know it's great to push yourself every once in a while it's great to have that feeling that I felt strong but I've had to find the middle area where I feel like I'm doing good but I'm still enjoying it and again that was something that I kind of had to like display to them because I know there's a lot of competitive individuals there that are really motivated great for them um but I just want to listen to silly little playlists yeah Um, and be consistent with it definitely and maintain that love for it and I think that's where I need to stay is enjoying it participating because there's a random race in Budapest that I can go and do a race with thousands of Hungarians I have no idea of and so fun do the you know fun adventure side of things and yeah if you have a race goal and you want to push yourself to a pace fantastic but make it realistic and make it still something that's not going to kill you or something that is going to be resentful um and I think that's just running culture in in general sometimes you know it's about you know going to the max and dying at the end of the finish line it's like no I want to smile which is good because every race photo I've had I've been like yeah (laughs) (laughs) I stay in that smiling bit where I'm not pushing myself to a point where it becomes uncomfortable and it becomes resentful so it's about with that perfectionistic side of things it's not the number at the end of the day nobody's going to give you know give a monkeys about oh what time did you do this in you know after after every race I go to everyone and say how did you enjoy it was it amazing wasn't it so lucky that we managed to dodge the sun um dodge the rain we got some sunshine and you know it's the experience and it's the event and it's the community and it's the camaraderie and it's the um what's it called the spectators and the kids that are giving you high fives and jelly babies yeah. and that's what it's about Definitely. and I've and I'm not a, I'm not a runner thing. uh but I did when I lived in Australia I signed up for two 10ks in Melbourne to yeah, try and get myself said. moving and they I thought I would train before and I absolutely didn't I was so lazy um and I just rocked up on the day and they were fantastic events like I completely can see why people get hooked on entering half marathons and all this because the whole day the way it's run like like you said the crowds and running in a group and having your playlist on and being in that it, it, there is something really lovely about it and I know 
where the ones in Melbourne ended where you ran into one of the big sports stadiums and you like ran around it and there was people in the stands. She almost felt like a bit of an athlete, like running around this track at the end for the last few miles. And um, there was something at the end of them where I was just like, oh, wow, like that was really fun. I want to do another one. Um, still didn't train for them, but signed up. And just I've managed to um, convince my one friend, Adam, to sign up to the half marathon. I'm over from Alex. And I think we're gonna do it as a duo and dress up together. And I'm 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 toying towards Mike Wazowski and Absolutely. Sully. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which one would you be? I really want to be Mike Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> I want to paint myself green and wear oh like my a gosh. Hoo-hoo. Hold on. I know people can't see this. Oh, oh she's climbing. Oh, can you see it? Oh. This is Mike Wazowski, Mike Wazowski. <laughs> but hopefully that reiterates the idea that participating in these events isn't about self-loathing. Oh my gosh, Anna Sally Mike. Did did we just become best friends? <laughs> I'm also going to keep these down so I can have my hot job in it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully that appreciates the idea that these events, these things that I do in regards of you know fitness and training is the fun and it's the excitement it is dressing up in silly outfits and you know the excitement of now being part of a community and um you know running past the flag it says cdf runners it's just fun and empowering and um i remember when i did the 10k recently in cardiff it was the same route that i did my first half marathon and i passed my dad so it was just like a 360 moment. And I got really emotional because he was there. He took a little photo of me. I posted it on Instagram. I don't know if you can see it. It's the one me waving. I'm like reaching the skies because I'm waving oh, yeah, at him. Yeah, I saw that. And it's just lovely because I remember the first time I raced. It wasn't a race. It was a, it was a plod, you know, and it, it was a it was a little let, let's do this. And it was to know that despite, I think well, it was five years, six, no, six years. That was six years ago that I did that one um that we've still got this excitement and it's fun and this joy um but just just a little stronger this time which is yeah good. that's amazing because I do my S&C and I stretch. yeah you are very good I have to say but... yeah I don't I'm really bad I get injured all the time and that is my own fault for not doing anything <laughs> like that I should do more so what would you say now are like your biggest obstacles to overcome and, and how do you cope with triggers and like managing your managing not being pushed back in terms of exercise in terms of recovery anything in general yeah it it is the anxiety and the panic attacks that is mm. still there and it's it's the one thing that I get really insecure about because I know a lot of people have such that very confident very outgoing and everything is ticked off and we're good. And then, you know, even last night I had a bit of panic when I was on a work social and I went to the Basies Conference of the British Athletic Association um, in Cambridge. An incredible opportunity to present my thesis and which, which just helped Mark for me. It so was amazing. <laughs> and there's someone who like has read a lot of research, trust me. Oh, I've got um, 78, by the way, I didn't tell you. No, oh, that is insane. Thank you. <laughs> and that must've been one of the highest in your year. If I don't know, but apparently I, I picked one of the hardest things because it was the qualitative res- results and whatnot. But anyway, that's another tangent post post podcast. Um, but still, I went to this thing and it was incredible. And I, I still had a panic attack. I was in the toilet for like, you know, half an hour trying to catch my breath. Um, so it, 
that's that's the thing that's my barrier is very much inundating myself with a lot of pressures and a lot of expectations that I crack um and every now and then I I could take it practically but I sometimes kick myself about it so then it's almost like this secondary anxiety of feeling anxious of the fact that I've been anxious oh 100% yeah sometimes it's just like okay that was a moment of weakness you were a bit overwhelmed there was too much stimulus going on you know you have these wobbles you can you can be stressed but it's not about getting stressed about getting stressed and getting irritated that you are still in that place where you're having panic attacks and finding you know all the toilets on the campus so it's that that's probably the main issue but again it's just like the self-compassion I have in that process to not make it worse to not just give myself furthermore grief yeah having natural human emotions yeah absolutely it's that compassion being like you know what this happens to the best of us and all I can do is my best as well um yeah you I know for a while you've talked about perfectionism as being like one of the the difficult things and um especially during your undergrad as well and and things like that and what are some of your go-to kind of self-care um strategies so something that gets me into a like a quite a meditative flow state where it's removes myself totally from pressures and two things is piano playing specifically mm-hmm. anything Ludwig Reinaudi what a legend and reading because I feel like those are the two things that is yes escapism but still in the present moment and I think that's what I needed is something that I can use my senses you know with piano you can't be thinking about this that and the other because you're looking at the music and you're using your hands and you're embracing that sound and it brings you back down and it's calming and reading as long as it's a light-hearted book I usually have a few on the go to know okay which emotion am I in now yeah um so something a bit more light-hearted something a bit more gripping and something non-fiction and sometimes I do want to read a, a light-hearted one that's a little bit soppy but I enjoy that and it makes me calm because whew, I realize okay we're back we're back in the picture and you know the stress things that I'm stressing about probably don't really um justify the stress so it's doing that being outside when I can like the sunshine the greenery the scenery really local park around me really local bit of water around me um and just having a little sit down in the water in the water beside the water um so just things that ground me things that bring me to present moment and it's taken me a while to find those things um because I think initially coping mechanisms were just things I found online and it was about doing this and doing that and I'm like it doesn't work for me so I've managed to find those things now um so yeah yeah that's really good and I think creative outlets like playing musical instruments or coloring or painting or anything like that is normally amazing because it uses like a different part of the brain doesn't it and it can kind of the very therapeutic activities that kind of just like they require your full attention when you're doing them can help you kind of like zone out of whatever it is that's that's stressing you I would agree with that I have one of those adult coloring books which I think is always weird to say because it sounds like you're coloring in like sexy pictures but (laughs) that needs to be invented (laughs) like a pin-up coloring book and they are just pictures of like I don't know llamas and butterflies and things but um it's always like that's my go-to if ever I'm just like oh do you know what I'm a little bit overwhelmed and I just need to shut the world out and we put a podcast on or an audio book or something um and yeah color away to that oh housework as well oh my gosh so meditative once you get into that hoover get into the dusting oh 
Zona. And what great. a great prize at the end when your place is just like absolutely immaculate and smells delicious. And, you know, yeah, I wish I had that as my go to. As you can probably see from behind me, there's just bits everywhere. And it's, it's, I should probably give it a dust. <laughs> I haven't houseworked at the moment. I'm waiting till that gets done and then I'll do a good old, yeah, a good old situation. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today, though, Lara. I was just wondering for any of our listeners who are kind of going through your similar story of, you know, they haven't managed to get into treatment, but they're recovering at home. What would your kind of top three um, bits of advice be for those people? Know who the good eggs are around you and realize that it's okay to value the relationships that you value and know which ones you need to set back from. Find those coping mechanisms that align with you. So again, mine was the music. It was also jigsaws as well and just things like that because, again, it's that flow state. And write to yourself. I had a diary, but I also had another, like, creative journal, um, which I talked about the opportunities that recovery would allow and the exciting things and what I'm feeling now and being a bit more rational. So it's that self-compassion note as well and understanding why you're feeling things um so yeah self-compassion mindfulness escapes and good support networks and knowing that it's okay to remove yourself from those who fail to serve you i love that three amazing bits of advice right there and thank you for all your insight into exercise developing like a healthy attitude to exercise because i know that's something that most of the people who listen to this podcast struggle with as well so that's really valuable insight um i will link all of lara's socials and everything into the show notes she's very active on there she's got some great great posts and she's yeah just a a bundle of joy she's one of the good eggs to follow online so definitely go check her out and if you're in the um cardiff or if you're in wales um then you will have probably seen her on tv talking um i love it when you talk in welsh i'm always like so (laughs) exactly i'm like wow Amazing. And just to finish, I always ask my guest one important question, uh, which is if you had to choose between, I think I know the answer to this actually already. What a stupid question to ask you. If you had to pick hummus or guacamole for the rest of your life. Oh, shut what would up. It be Get me why? all the hummus you can. We went to the land of hummus. My identity is taken by hummus and falafel. falafel. I have a tub of it. Nearly, more often than not, they will always be hummus in my 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 um fridge and as i uh, we i'm gonna start the sentence again and as joss and i were talking prior to the podcast interview summer weather i immediately associate to this place called falafel corner in cardiff and i had it yesterday and i had the sriracha it was a bit hot it was a Ooh, bit on the spicy magic. side but it was still fantastic i love so, yes. i used to put sriracha on my eggs all the time i love it um but yeah that's a little Dude, cheeky i don't i don't them. i don't disrespect guacamole it has its place but I find avocados slightly more difficult because you can either have it perfect or it's either rotten and moldy. So it's, you can't. Yeah. And the texture for some is quite like if they're not really solid or in, in the right ripeness, they can be quite mushy and then they can be quite slimy. And some people don't like that. It's that balancing act. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to have in a, if you're going to a Mexican restaurant and you've got all the dips and they, they know how to do it. Yeah. So if they know how to do it, I'll let them do it. 
but but no I love a good hummus too I especially like the ones which is like um, a caramelized onion one um that they do in the roasted red pepper oh that's a great one too I love, I love the roasted, roasted red pepper I, I actually did one myself sorry this is a tangent in itself but I, I actually roasted a full red pepper put it in the hummus and the chickpeas and tahini oh nice and I, to the point we got really um like burnt so it was almost like there was like a bitterness to it oh Charmed. oh amazing she can add charge yeah not burnt that's the <laughs> better way to say it yeah. amazing thank you so much for joining me lara today and like i said if of those listeners please please go and check out her podcast and her socials she does amazing episodes as well so um yeah head on over. jocelyn <laughs> you can go shout out for the ones that i'm in as well so uh, until next time guys stay happy and stay healthy